Hey there, Kelly here. Guests on the show share so many great ideas, but how do you start putting them into practice? Well, that's exactly what you'll explore when you sign up for the podcast weekly newsletter. Each week, you'll get three ideas from past guests sent straight to your inbox. You'll explore materials, techniques, tools, concepts, and mindsets in bite-sized pieces so that you can think about them and fold them into your own practice. It's completely free and you get it by signing up at learntopaintpodcast.com slash newsletter. As I walked into the studio that morning, as opposed to every other morning I'd walked into the studio, there were many. That morning, I saw the painting. Hello and welcome to the Learn to Paint podcast, the show where we aim our focus on how to get better at painting. I'm your host, Kelly Ann Powers. And this is another mini episode. We're trying a bunch of new stuff through the minis, and I'd love your feedback on which you like best in the weeks ahead. You can leave a comment in the show notes or email me at kellyannpowers at learntopaintpodcast.com. So here's what we're doing today. So many of the things we discuss on the show are theoretical, but what do they look like in practice? I've asked episode 5 guest Mark Mahaffey back to talk about a recent watercolor painting of his. The painting is called Studio Light, and it was just accepted into the National Watercolor Society International Exhibit. So go take a look at the painting before or while you listen. You can find it at learntopaintpodcast.com slash podcast slash episode 31. All right. Here we go. Hi, Mark. Welcome to the podcast mini episode. We're going to talk about your painting Studio Light today. And first off, congratulations on having it be included in this year's National Watercolor Society International Exhibit. Thank you. As an artist, how did this idea evolve from just something that existed out there to something you actually wanted to paint? You know... It took a while for this one. Uh, We moved three years ago. I left a custom studio over 500 square feet with space for storage and skylights and all kinds of lighting. And we moved up north. I'm going to put that in quotes. Northern Michigan. It's absolutely gorgeous. All our family was now in northern Michigan. So we left central Michigan. And the house we purchased three years ago now had a much smaller studio space, kind of a long extra room above the garage. We added some storage the other way over the bedroom. Um, And so I've been here for three years. Out our living room window, we can actually see Lake Michigan. So um, it's absolutely gorgeous. And the new studio sort of had to be redone. I had to redo everything. It was considerably smaller, but long and narrow with light pouring in during the sunrise from the east window and the two skylights that I have. So coming and going almost every morning, coming and going. This particular day, the light was streaming in from that east window early in the morning, and I just stopped dead and said, this is really cool. And I had a chair that's almost black. I essentially painted it almost black in the painting that was blocking the light right in the middle of my studio. And I said, I really like the negative shapes around that chair. I really like the light streaming in. So um, when I can, I always draw first. So I got my sketchbook out and made a value plan and skipped the photographic part of that process. 
because usually, you know, I do a lot of painting from reference photos. So it's reference photo, dump it into the computer, decide what to do, what to save, what to ditch, um, print it out four by six, go from there to my sketchbook to make a plan for painting. Um, the plan for painting was right in front of me. So I sat down and spent some time doing the plan and then did the painting, transparent watercolor. A quick overview of materials. You said transparent watercolor. What did you paint on? What's the substrate you painted on? Yeah, that's the fun and interesting part, at least for me, um, and have become that way. I've been experimenting painting transparent watercolor and sometimes opaque watercolor gouache on a gessoed surface. So I take watercolor paper and I apply two coats of, and it's a specific brand. They all work to some extent, but I prefer golden gesso. So I apply two coats to both sides. I do that because if you apply it just to one side, then as it dries, it curls up on you because of uneven drying. So two coats, pretty heavy, right from the jar on both sides of the watercolor paper, which essentially seals the watercolor paper. And I've experimented with hot press, even sanding between coats to get a plate finish, cold press, two heavy coats with random brush marks to allow the gesso brush marks to show through and rolled with a roller to make it smoother and rough watercolor paper, 300 pound rough, to make sure I still have the hills and valleys of the watercolor paper. So what the gesso completely seals the surface and then when I paint with transparent watercolor, regardless of whether it's a granulated pigment or a heavy earth pigment or even a stainer, I can usually lift right back to the white of the gesso. So it's a very forgiving surface and the gesso allows for uh, spontaneous granulation whether we have big pigment particles or small pigment particles. So you get a cool granulated effect also. I don't know. I guess I've been painting on that surface now for four or five or six years, and I'm just getting the hang of it. We have a whole episode with Mark on the podcast, and we mainly focus on your acrylic, but we sort of reference this in that interview is that you have many different styles, or you call them compartments. I do call them compartments, yes. So, so when you saw this scene, did you immediately know how you wanted to paint it? Or did it take some consideration before you knew that part of it? Okay, so yes and no. Do you remember the movie, I See Dead People? <laughs> yes. Okay. The kid is now grown up. So I see paintings. That's the way my mind works. I see the world in terms of shapes and value changes and places where I might make creative manipulations of the real world. And so as I walked into the studio that morning, as opposed to every other morning I'd walked into the studio, there were many, that morning I saw the painting. So it just kind of clicked and I immediately got the sketchbook out and did the plan for that painting, which included the arrangement of shapes, the simplification and the assignment of values. And then got out my gessoed paper and started right in. It was just the big shapes. The fun thing about that paper is I call it, it leads to brave painting. So I dumped a whole lot of really saturated and strong pigment on that paper, knowing that later in the process, I could lift back the lights. 
could you walk us through how you built up the painting? For this particular painting, it's sort of a combination of the two ways I find that I work on the surface. The first way is quite spontaneous. Dump a bunch of pigment on the paper, spritz it with my water bottle, let it all run and flow, and then as it starts to dry, get a brush with slightly less water carried in the brush and add more paint, spritz it, let that all run. And then I slowly build up the imagery and get to a point where the paper's pretty dry. And then I go back in and lift all of the lights and then add the darks in around that. So the run and let everything organically flow together acts as the midtones that hold the light and darks together. The other way I work on it, and it was mostly this way, is I put a medium or pushing towards medium dark value over the whole paper. And sometimes it'll be all one hue, sometimes it'll be a mixture of two or three different colors, but generally medium or slightly darker than a medium value. I allow all of that to dry, then I lift the lights and that allows me greater control over the edges. So the edges can be harder than the first method that I used. So it was kind of a combination. Once I got to that point, I started lifting all the lights and there are a lot of straight edges in that painting because of tables and legs from the tables and the chair that's the focus of that and all of the edges of the light area in that painting. So that allowed me control over those edges. If I messed up, no big deal because I just flooded that whole area with paint again let it dry and started in again and made the correction. The painting looks like it was done spontaneously, but it really was a lot of work. This way of working speaks to how important shape is to you. Like you're not painting a chair, a table, a blue vase or glass in the background. Like you are flooding in color, taking out shape. Yeah, I sort of see the world in terms of shape. So when asked, well, how is it that you can draw a bird, a person, this tree as opposed to this tree? And how do you see the angles of these buildings as opposed to the horizon line and the way the street goes away from the viewer into the distance? And my response to that always is, I don't see the world in terms of people or birds or trees or buildings. I see the world in terms of shapes. Once you divorce yourself from subject matter and you just start to look at the shapes that make up everything, then everything becomes much easier to draw. Could you talk about some of the contrasts that you chose to use in this painting? Yeah, this is a value painting. I mean, there, are, there we have some co contrast of color. It was purposeful to put orange and blue in the same painting, two complementary colors, and in some cases in this painting. I'm looking at it on my desktop. It's real tiny. It's like an inch tall. But in some cases, I even put the blue and orange together. So that's the color contrast between complementary opposites. But it's mostly a value painting. So it's that really dark, dark put next to really light lights that creates the drama for the viewer and kind of hits them over the sledgehammer and says, okay, this area is an important area because you have almost black next to almost white. And you have hard edges there too. So that just draws the viewer right there. So then clearly there's some straight up orange or straight up blue, did you actually mix orange and blue to create your more neutralized darks? Yes, there are places where the orange and blue mixed 
and create, created a nice neutral. But I also added uh, indigo, which is essentially a really dark, dark blue anyway. And it's the mixture of the burnt sienna, the oranges, and the indigo that created the dark darks that you see on the periphery of this painting. And then most of the blue was uh, either a mixture of cobalt and ultramarine or either one of those blues all by themselves. So really like when looking under the window shape, there is that granulated passage of sort of a blue to an orange. How did yeah. you create that? I didn't. <laughs> the gessoed surface did. So, you know, I, I just flooded the surface. You can see the residual of that same shape if you follow the shadow down underneath the tables. And so I flooded the whole paper with the orange and blue and then picked it up and tilted it and let gravity help me create that gradation from blue into neutral into orange and then added more paint as it went to make it darker and darker. And so the granulation is due to the surface, the gessoed surface. And then the gradation is due to me picking up a big puddle and letting it run. The table surface area, do you consider that a mid-tone shape with yeah. lights on it? Yeah. There, oh. the, most of the painting is a middle value, somewhere between a light middle and a dark middle value so it's that that middle value is the glue that holds the lights and darks together for this particular painting so we have a dominant middle value that's holding the little bit more of the dark with a little bit less of the lights all together in this painting so it's really a value painting it's quite tonal in the areas outside of the pure blue and the orange that i've used in the paintings so outside of that it's a very tonal painting yeah, how did you use saturated color and neutralized color in this painting? And why did you use those where you did? Yeah, my favorite complementary pair is orange and blue, both side by side, because it creates a vibration that the viewer recognizes. Um, they're opposite colors, so they sort of, sort of make each other vibrate. And then combined, they make really interesting, warm and cool grays. And so that was kind of a given in this particular painting. A lot of the painting was done and completed, at least the measure shapes, before I added the really saturated orange in the foreground, the little pieces of saturated orange on the tabletop to move your eye up, and the saturated blue that you see in the roll of paper towels and on the surface of the table. So yeah, that was all towards the end. How did you create interest in those middle tones, in those middle values without distracting the viewer from where you wanted them to go? A lot of the interest in this painting is that huge value contrast between the light hitting my studio floor and the negative spaces between the really dark chair. Um, that's where my eye continues to go. However, I, I also added bits of saturated color in amongst all of the neutrals, which, which also creates that contrast between intensity and less intense colors, neutral colors. So little pieces of blue almost straight from the tube, little pieces of orange mixed up, you know, highly saturated on my palette. I usually mix all of my secondaries. And then little pieces of light against dark and dark against light throughout the painting just to bounce the viewer's eye around. One of the things I love about this is that a lot of people, they don't want to paint necessarily realistic paintings. They want to paint abstracted. This is such a beautiful example of that very thing. 
what is the mindset shift that an artist has to go through to get there? Yeah, I think it's all about intent in the first place and the initial concept going into the work. There's nothing inherently wrong or better or worse about any approach, really. It's it's just according to what you want to do. And so my interests both in painting and outside of painting are quite broad and varied. You know, I, I in terms of what I do with painting, it's all based on the initial concept, the idea that I get. And so sometimes I do watercolor paintings which require 80 to 100 hours work. Um, I don't show them very often. Usually these go to private sales. And I also do plain air acrylic painting, Balaprima, which takes, you know, one sitting. I complete the painting in one sitting regardless of its size. And so practically everything in between, um, all of my work is always driven by, well, okay, what if? And this is really cool. Can I make a painting out of this idea? As opposed to always concentrating on one subject matter or always working in one style. I appreciate other people that do that, but it's not me. In that design thumbnail phase of it, how much playing around with design did you do and what did that look like? Yeah, okay, so my sketchbook, I always use it, I'm gonna say 98% of the time for representational imagery. I want to know how the shapes are arranged. I wanna know where I want to direct the viewer's eye. Usually there's a pr pretty um, solid focal area. And then I also want to know prior to painting how light or dark every single shape is. So I use my pencil, usually a five or six B pencil. I contour the shapes and then I assign value to every single shape. That process doesn't take me long, 10 to 20 minutes usually, because these plans are two and a half by three and a half or three and a half by four and a half inches big. They're not particularly large. Occasionally I'll do a four by five. Usually the format is a rectangle that fits the format of the painting I have planned, but not always, because I can always make scrunch something in or make something a little bigger. But the value plan is always solid and recognizable. If you compared the value plan to the finished painting, it, they'd be very, very close. I sometimes vary both color and value once I'm in the process, if I think it'll make a better painting. So the sketchbook, um, and I've filled many over the years, always comes out for my representational imagery. And then I never use it when I'm working inside my head. I had never considered that doing small thumbnails really forces you to have the value pattern, like truly the pattern of value be the most important thing. But it does because that's, that's all the space you got. Yeah, absolutely. And, and sometimes, not often, but so, sometimes it's worth two or three different variations of the value plan as you see it. I usually take the cues from what I'm looking at or the photo reference, but often what's light in the photo reference needs to be dark in the painting or vice versa. Or um, there's not enough mid-tone to hold everything together. Or maybe I want a low-key painting, but the reference photo was high contrast. And so the sketchbook is the place where I can make those changes. And so sometimes I'll have to do two or three or four plans to get 
to the, what I really want to paint. And once I get to that point, um, I seldom use the reference photo. I put that away and then paint from my sketchbook. So then did you paint this purely from the value plan? Yeah, yeah. that and the fact that I was actually looking at it <laughs> as I made the painting. I mean, this is, if the sun is shining bright coming up from the east, this, this is my studio early every morning. It's an inner landscape painting. Yeah, it is. It's a greatly simplified too, because usually my studio is a lot more trash than this. The sign of a good studio. Yeah. Well, I guess, is there anything else you'd like to, to say about the painting? No, I mean, uh, I'm still exploring this surface and seeing what transparent watercolor and gouache will do on a gessoed surface. It's, you know, another compartment and uh, I'll never get to the end, really. I mean, you just paint, 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 and then you die. <laughs> I feel like we all need that on t-shirts. Yeah, it's not, it wouldn't make a bad t-shirt, would it? <laughs> so hopefully listeners, folks go take a look at the painting and I just want to encourage people, especially if you're first still starting out and sort of struggling with this whole value, shape, representation, all of that, really just look at the shapes of this painting. For me, when I saw this, I, you know, I was scrolling through Facebook and I saw this and just stopped and said like, what is this? This is incredible. And I think that's because of the value pattern. That's because of the powerful value pattern. And when we're first getting started, we think about the thing and not the importance of the value pattern. So if you're really struggling with that still, just sort of let it soak in the importance of value through this painting. Yeah, I had uh, year, years and years ago now, I could even say years and years and years ago, uh, I had a college professor art class and we had an assignment to paint glass and I was struggling. And he just walked by one day and said, forget that it's glass. Just paint the lights and darks as you see them. And when you're done, it will be glass. And I looked and I thought about that and I said, hmm, makes sense to me. So basically that's what you do. Forget what you're painting. Just paint the lights and the darks and the mid-tone shapes as you see them and you'll end up there. You can learn more about Mark Mahaffey at his website, markmahaffeyfineart.com and on Facebook and Instagram. And we'll link to everything in the show notes. Mark, thanks for hopping on and doing this mini episode. Hey, thanks for calling. It was fun. Thank you for joining me this week on the podcast mini episode. Head to learntopaintpodcast.com slash podcast slash episode 31 to see Mark's painting. While you're there, add your name to the newsletter list to get more ideas on how to get better at painting. And if you like the show, consider supporting it through Patreon. You can get early access to episodes plus additional goodies. Learn more at learntopaintpodcast.com slash support. Happy painting.